The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads! Quit trying to read your Kindle by candlelight and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 470 with guest Nate Kahari, recorded live Monday, July 20th, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net. Training developers to work smarter. And now offering .NET Nuke video training with Chris Hammond from Engage Software on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Grape City Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now... The man who wonders why his Hayes smart modem isn't selling on eBay. Carl Franklin! Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin here. Richard Campbell will be here in just a minute. I'm uh, doing this the night before the publication of this show in the studio, in Pop Studios. It's a beautiful summer night out here. Hope you are all enjoying your summertime. And let's kick things off with Better No Framework. So, today I'm going to talk a little bit about Windows Mobile. Microsoft.windowsmobile.directx.graphicsstream. That's right, Windows Mobile has DirectX. This is, uh, it was updated in May 2009, the documentation. The graphics stream class contains a graphics data stream. And this is, you know, uh, it's to write data to and from vertex and index buffers. So this is sort of the, the way that you do stuff in DirectX. Provide several methods for writing and reading data from the stream using individual value types or arrays of value types. I don't claim to be a DirectX person, so I can't tell you what's in there and what isn't. All I'm saying is that if you were wondering whether DirectX is in Windows Mobile, yes, it is. And the namespace is microsoft.windowsmobile.directx, and GraphicStream is the center of the universe of that. 
So uh, we're going to skip the emails. I do also want to mention that uh, several people have been taking up our offer. Uh, Infusion Development is still looking for really talented people, not only doing SharePoint, but also doing touch applications like Surface and uh, WPF and Silverlight uh, as, of course, SharePoint. And they have offices in New York City, in uh, Toronto, in London, England, and in Dubai. So if you're interested in that, uh, they're hiring. They're looking for really smart, talented people. And they came to us because they're friends of ours and said, you know, we like your listeners. They're smart. You know, tell them. Tell them about us. So we are. And uh, if you're interested in that, send me an email, carl at franklins.net. Our guest today is Nate Kohari, President and Chief Technical Officer of Inkari. Nate's been making electrons dance in computers since hacking on GW Basic programs at the tender age of eight. During his experience in the software industry, he recognized that while the majority of focus is placed on the initial development of a software product, most of the effort is actually spent on the product's maintenance and development after launch. This led him to learn about the application of lean ideas to software development. Nate also believes deeply in the value of open source software and previously created Ninject, a popular dependency injection framework. Nate co-founded Inkari and as president and CTO, he is charged with the company's strategic direction and the development of the product. Welcome, Nate. Thanks for having me on. So in that whole paragraph, we're zoning in on the word lean here. Lean uh, actually came from manufacturing, didn't it? The term? Right, yep. Um, the Toyota production system. Yeah, the Toyota way. I think, uh, right, sure. So, uh, I mean, I can pretty much guess the overall philosophy is do more with less, but what specifically are we talking about when we're talking about lean in terms of software development? Well, it's really all about, um, you know, trying to identify and reduce waste in your process and, um, continually trying to improve your process and, and improve efficiency and, you know, find new, new ways to work that, you know, work better for your team. So, um, but you're right. It's, it's all about, you know, trying to do the uh, absolute minimum possible um, that is, you know, creates value for your, your customer, or your client. Um, and then try to, uh, once that's done, try to grow your software, you know, organically as, as you go along. We used to, I used to tell my students in my classes to do the simplest thing that works, you know, I think, and I think that's a, just a really good principle in general is that Absolutely. we tend to overthink things and especially as developers, cause we love to tinker with stuff and we love to reinvent things that it's more fun to go off and, and reinvent something that we could easily, well, purchase a tool for sure, or, or go searching for it to see if something's already been done. Right, and the idea is to try to uh, you know avoid those gold plating moments where you you know you go too far with a, a piece of software and you start adding features that are unnecessary. So um, when you apply lean to uh, software development, you come up with um, well, there are lean wastes. There are seven different wastes that um, they prescribe as um, well wasteful. This is Toyota you're talking about. The seven wastes originally, yeah, mm-hmm. mm. and then um, there's. Of course, I wasn't the one that came up with the idea of applying lean to software development at all. Um, Mary and Tom Popinick actually have um, great books on the subject, but um, mm-hmm. they actually map the seven wastes over to um, waste in software development. So, for example, um, overproduction is a waste that 
that Toyota identified. Mm-hmm. Um, and the corollary in software development would be additional features or unnecessary features. Right. So um, there's also things like um, thrashing, which is, you know, kind of context switching for, for um, the developers. So, you know, uh, try to focus on um, working on as few things as possible, you know, preferably one thing at a time. Uh, wrapping it up and then moving to the next thing. So you don't have to context switch in your brain, you know, much like a, a computer would swap yeah. out memory. Right. So don't build stuff you don't need. Mm-hmm. Don't work on more than one thing at a time. I mean, there's seven right. of these, so I want to try and get them all in my head here, make sure we, we've talked about them all. Oh, don't make me quote them all, because I'm sure I'll get it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I have, have to refer to the book. I actually just went looking on Wikipedia, and the, ter- the, the Japanese term muda... Uh, refers to the seven waste, and um, I'm looking here. Rework is one of them. Quality defects sure. prevent the customers from accepting the defected product. The effort to create these defects is wasted. New waste right. management processes must be added in an effort to reclaim some value for the otherwise scrap product. And then overproduction, transportation, inventory, motion, uh and some, and it says other candidate waste. Uh, other sources have proposed additional waste, latent skill, danger, which is unsafe work areas, poor information, uh, material. Um, and some of these refer more to manufacturing than, than uh, you know, a lot of these refer to manufacturing more than software processes, like material. Sure. I guess you could mean, you know, bad PCs or something like that, I suppose. Well, definitely, like poor right. working conditions. I find that most devs don't get much choice in the kind of machines that they develop on, and they got they don't get the right machine for the job. I, for me, That's more than anything, true, yeah. I, for productivity, it's been more screen space. Like you just can't have too much screen space. Sure, sharper tools always a good thing. Yeah, yeah, but it's actually kind of interesting where um, Lean originally came from, um, Taichi Ono is uh, kind of considered the you know the father of of the Toyota production system. He was actually um touring American supermarkets and uh, he noticed that um the way that they stocked inventory was was completely different than Japanese supermarkets. Hmm. Um in Japan they actually of course space is much more limited but their their inventory in the back in the supermarkets was actually much larger than in America. And so he tried to understand why that was the case. And he watched um, a stocker stock the shelves. And uh, he would notice that, you know, when a certain number of items dwindled, they would go and create, you know, put more on the shelf. And then if there were none in the back, they would order some. So essentially it was just-in-time inventory and, you know, creating a supply chain. Hmm. And so he essentially took the same idea and applied it to manufacturing. So um, rather than creating a 1,000 doors, you know, to put on a, a Toyota car, they would create just enough to keep the flow moving through the system. And um, the way they controlled it was through a technique called Kanban, which really just means visual card. And so what would happen is they would have a stack of, of parts, let's say doors, for example. Let's say they had 10. And um, stuck in between the doors, maybe like on top of the third door from the bottom, would be a card that just said, go order more doors. Huh. And what would happen is as they were building cars, they would take, um, you know, doors off the top of the pile. And when they hit that card, they would take it to the person that was responsible for creating more doors and say, here's my order, go build more doors. And the idea was that before they would hit the bottom of the pile, they would be able to be restocked and, you know, kind of a uh, a queue system there. Mm. 
So same sort of concept applies to software development. Of course, you're not building doors, and not everything is always the same. But um, it, people have found that you can break the tasks down into you know, individual stories or individual you know, work items and uh, represent your process as kind of a, a board, which you know, is called Kanban board. And um, each there's different columns on the Kanban board uh, representing phases that a task would have to go through in order to reach completion. So um, the example I always use is um, design, develop, deploy would be the three phases you might have. So let's say you're working on a website and you're working with a uh, graphic design team um, and a team of software developers and sysadmins. So those are kind of your three different you know work areas. Um, when the the uh, next work item has to happen, it gets hung on the board under design. Okay, so that means graphic design should be working on that work item. When it's done, a developer then can elect to pull it into the develop phase. So that's the other thing that that Lean tries to implement, which is a pull system, a self pulling um, system. Time, in right, exactly. Just in time inventory is all about pull. So rather than saying, "Okay, here's some more stuff that we've done," and pushing it on to the next person. Um, the next person is is charged with selecting the item that would be worked on next. So typically, you want to do it in kind of a um, FIFO queue, but um, you know there's some there's some leeway there. So then, as a developer, I would pull something from the design phase. I would write the code on it, and then say it's ready to go. Um, maybe a sysadmin or whoever is in charge of deployment would pull it to the next phase and actually deploy it, and then that work item is considered done. Yeah. So I'm thinking the only place this falls down is when the dev runs out of stuff to do because the designers are taking a long time to get the design phase done. Right. See, so what's what's kind of cool about a Kanban board is it actually gives you a perspective of your entire project at once. So you can actually visualize, you know, the whole flow of work, and you can recognize things like queuing and um you know, bottlenecks in your process and things like that, right. which, of course, goes back to the whole lean idea of reducing waste. Because once you identify the bottleneck, you can try to fix it, of course. How do you spell Kanban board? Is that K-A-H-N-B-A-H-N? It's K-A-N-B-A-N. And I think it's actually Kanban, pronounced K-A-N-B-A-N. But, again, not being Japanese myself, I, I'm sure I'm mangling that. <laughs> But uh, that's that's the way I've heard it pronounced most commonly. So tell us about your product, Zen. Sure. Um, Zen is really uh, our goal with Zen. I don't know. It's been, let's see, sometime last year, I'd say, uh, we started uh, thinking about um, th- there was a lack of uh, good, uh, simple flexible, you know, project management tool available. There's, there's some really good tools available, um, but I think a lot of them are very uh, complex. Um, they have a lot of features, which are very useful if you, you have a, a large enterprise size deployment. But there isn't anything really, you know, for small teams and medium-sized teams. Um, and there's definitely not anything for, um, you know, personal uh, consultants or, you know, freelancers, those, those sort of people. And, so um, through the frustration that, that I had using some of those existing tools um, and, it, and at the same time being exposed to these, you know, more lean ideas um, kind of resulted in what became Zen, which is a uh, web-based Kanban board system. Um, it takes your uh, – most of the small teams um, rely on 
manual methods, things like sticky notes or index cards or things like that to create a Kanban board in, you know, the shared team area. Um, that works pretty well until you get a distributed team. Um, if you have programmers or, you know, team members of any kind working, you know, all over the place, it starts to get much more difficult, um, you know, to keep things organized. Not to mention, um, you, you have to calculate a lot of things yourself. So there's, there's different metrics that you can use to um, determine performance. And um, if you use a manual method, um, you know, index cards or, or whatever, you have to calculate all those metrics by hand. So basically what Zen does is it says you don't have to, you know, spend your money on sticky notes or, or index cards anymore. Instead, um, you just sign up for this uh, software-as-a-service offering, and it gives you a web-based Kanban board that lets you, you know, create cards and drag and drop, and then, you know, it does all those um, key performance indicators. It calculates mm-hmm. those for you and everything like that. It also has um, a built-in messaging system, too. So when something happens on your project, let's say there's a problem with one of the tasks, I can actually mark it as, as blocked, meaning this task can't continue on in our pipeline. Uh, when that happens, it can actually send emails and IMs out to everybody else on the team. So everybody, there's a there's an idea in Lean called stop the line, which is mm-hmm. um, if there's a defect that's found, again, in a car from Toyota's perspective, um, there's a, a cord that people can pull that lights up a siren or lights up a light and si- sounds a siren right. that says everybody mm-hmm. has to stop working. Don't don't produce any more because if we if we produce something that's um, incorrect in some way is, is defective. We've actually created waste because we're going to have to go back and do rework. Right. So the idea is um, when something bad happens, you can say this, there's something wrong, block this story. And then everybody else is notified. So people, um, if necessary, can help work on the problem. Stopping the line is generally a bad thing though, right? It can be. It's, it, it depends. You, you want to try to limit it. You better have a good reason. That's what it's all about. I mean, you don't stop it because, you know, you notice something that some one piece has a piece of dust on it that you can just brush off. You know, you, you, right. want, you want to stop the line if you find a, a defect that's being reproduced over and over again that you know is going to be a fundamental change. Yeah, one of the, the important ideas Lean to is trying to empower, um, you know, the people that are, quote unquote, in the trenches. So in software development sake, it would typically be software developers. So the trust is kind of placed on them not to, you know, stop the line unless there's something that's, you know, they see is going to create waste in the future. Um, And of course, the idea is to try to avoid defects, if at all possible, from the beginning, you know, through different practices like um, that build quality into the product, things like test development, you know, continuous integration, um, things like that, that can try to help you... um, you know, act as a safety net to block from having, you know, defects be introduced. So, and I guess you got to tie this into the whole bug tracking mechanism in the first place. I just did trying to put together the pieces of the project management side to the bug tracking piece. You know, what's interesting too is, is actually um, when you get to a full lean process um, and you really kind of embrace these ideas, you actually find yourself not really tracking a lot of bugs. You might track some more, um, you know, kind of the lesser defects and things like that. But, uh, for example, we use Zen, you know, to develop Zen. We, we kind of dog food it, you know, in-house. And um, if there's some sort of uh, critical, you know, fix that has to be applied to it, 
um, it immediately becomes what what we use as a red card on our board, and that oh, okay. card goes through as fast as possible. So the idea is, rather than tracking um, you know thousands of bugs or you know hundreds of bugs depending on the size of your application, because um, that over time you know that bug count always tries to grow or always ends up growing, and then yeah. you spend all your time trying to reduce the bug count as much as possible. You know, um, the real issue is that uh, the more of those things you accumulate in your backlog of work, um, the older they get, the less relevant they are, and actually the more wasteful they can become. Mm. So one of the lean ideas is to try to keep your backlog of work as small as possible. You can have a roadmap that kind of sets the direction for the project, but wouldn't really, um, doesn't necessarily have everything broken down into individual tasks and things like that. I've definitely found, and this is one of the things I've been, where we've been really advocating continuous integration, that the number of hours between the code being written, the bug being detected, and the fix being worked on, uh, as that time goes up, things get much harder. The closer you can get those things together, the, the easier they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And Again, that goes back to the whole the um, unfinished work is one of the wastes that that are, is prescribed, you know, to uh, software development. And so, um, if something is is half specified, or you know, something has aged, you know, large amounts of time in your backlog, a lot of those things have changed. So, you know, the product has changed, maybe the business direction has changed. You know, if it's months of time that you've sat on this this bug before working on it. Um, you can actually find that maybe someone else has fixed it in the meantime, but you, you might spend time, you know, maybe hours even to try to determine whether that bug is still there. Right. Only to find out that it's gone, right, or that it's been fixed. Yeah, and that's um, pure waste there, the time you're running around trying to figure out that that's happened. Right, exactly. And it's pretty interesting, too. A lot of other uh, agile um, you know, techniques, say Scrum, for example, mm-hmm. um, is very focused on estimation. Um, and one of the interesting things about estimation is there's been whole books written on it. You know, Steve McConnell has a very good book on, on software estimation, Demystifying the Black Art. Mm-hmm. And basically in his book, he just says, here's a collection of things that you can try, but there's really no good way to do it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. um, and he actually talks about this uh, cone of uncertainty, I think, or something like that is what he calls it. But essentially he says that um, you can't, really estimate things in the beginning more than it, uh, it could be off by up to 16 times the value that you end up with. And the wow. longer or the closer you get to completion, the easier it is to estimate. But in the meantime, you have this huge amount of uncertainty. And so what Lean does is actually says, well, don't really bother estimating things up front. You know, don't come up with these synthetic time boxes. If you ever use Scrum process and iteration, um, say two weeks of work, it just uh, foregoes a lot of those kind of um, you know, uh, ceremony along with the process. Uh, it says, don't worry about creating these synthetic time boxes and then trying to fill them with work. Just work on things as, you know, essentially as fast as you can um, and relies on a, a metric called cycle time um, you know, to try to figure out how long something will take. So the idea of Scrum is to, you know, create an iteration, which is kind of a contract with the business. Um, every two weeks, we will give you new working software is the idea. So in a lean process, rather than doing that, um, you just start working, essentially, and then you find out, okay, every task that we're doing um, is taking about, let's say, a day. So then your cycle time becomes eight hours, let's say, you know, one working day. 
and then the business knows that any kind of task that it would ask for is would essentially take on average eight hours. This is now. This is all stuff that you can customize in your tool. D- is this tool like mm-hmm. a, a standalone application? Is there a server? Does it snuggle up to Team System in any way? No, not yet. Um, well, right now it's just a hosted service. Um, we are interested in creating a self-hosted version so people can install it, you know, inside their firewall and, and things like that. But um, for the starting out, we're, we're focusing again. You know, our, our key focus is on small to mid-sized teams. Um, because those, I think, are, are the teams that are kind of not represented very well in the, the um, other competing products that are out there. Um, okay. So, But we are interested definitely in creating a, a self-hosted version. Actually, what I'm working on this week is um, the beginning of our API, um, which will be a uh, you know, REST API that you can then plug into and, and push and pull information you know, back and forth between Zen and, say, TFS or... Nice. Um, you know, anything else like that, GitHub or Subversion or, you know, all sorts of different things. Microsoft Project, if you wanted to, that's that. You know. Don't say the P word. Right. <laughs> that's dangerous, right? I almost had to leave that off the list. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's lots of folks that hate Project, but I've, because I mean, it ends up being a full-time job just to maintain Project. Sure. Right. Yep. And of course, um, you know, it, it would be kind of interesting. I'd, I'd love to hear from a shop that was using both project and a tool like Zen, you know, and, and Kanban system, um, because they're kind of at, at odds almost. Um, it's not to say that you couldn't do it, but uh, the creation of a Gantt chart, you know, to try to spec out, you know, all of the different, you know, your next six months of work is very, uh, again, at odds with kind of a lean process that yeah. you could do something like a roadmap, you know, or, or you know, like a... a overall plan in something like Microsoft Project with rough estimates and that sort of thing. But running day-to-day work through it would, would be tough, I think. Um, we always get back to this thing that, in a lot of ways, estimates are waste work. It's easier to actually do the work to know how long it takes. Well, it depends on how big the work is, right? Right. And you can, um, you know, you'll find that um, estimation can be, can be easy in some cases and can be very difficult in others. So Lean just says, try to make your work items as equally sized as possible and break them down. And again, there's some estimation that happens there because you have to estimate the size of the, the task before you can, you know, say, okay, it's, it's equal size. But, um, you know, if you can avoid those, um, you know, four hour meetings where everybody sits around and, you know, again, if you're, you're in an actual process, maybe you're playing planning poker or something like that, you know, these different ceremonies that people come up with to try to estimate um, rather than doing all that stuff, just get to work, you know, and then look at see, you know, two weeks down the road, look at the mean because the, you know, the best statistical way to figure out how well you're doing is to look at the mean, again, if things are equally sized. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik, without whose support this show surely would not exist. You know, summer is peaking and our friends at Telerik are working full steam. They've just released the Q2 volume of the Telerik Premium Collection for .NET, which is their biggest release yet. Packed with new things, it'll surely excite anyone who has anything to do with .NET development. Let's start with Silverlight and the introduction of the first commercial 3D chart on the market. It is developed as True Vector 3D, which guarantees swift performance and rich capabilities like rotation, animations, etc. Another major announcement is the Telerik Silverlight Scheduler, which is packed with tons of features, even in the first version. 
Telerik's flagship, Rad Controls for ASP.NET Ajax, grows not only with four new controls, but also with new productivity tools. Take the new Visual Style Builder, an online application that allows you to visually modify skins or design new ones with point and click. And if that's not enough, they've added a completely new product, a free testing framework powered by Art of Test for automating Ajax and Silverlight rich internet applications. Since I'm short on time here, I can't enumerate all the new features and enhancements in the Telerik Reporting, Open Access ORM, and their Windows Forms products, so I'll leave it for you to check them out at Telerik.com. And don't forget to say thank you for supporting .NET Rocks. I've found myself in meetings over and over again thinking, man, we're this is just a waste of time, you know? Sure. It could just be, and, and of course you're right. It's they, you try to have some voodoo and some insight into it, but it, it takes a little bit of poking around usually and an hour even to, to know, I bet to have a better idea about how you're going to know. I mean, there's just some fundamental questions sometimes that have to be answered first about the technologies you're going to use, about the feasibility of what, what's going to happen. Unless it's just plain old crud stuff that you've done over and over again. You know, when there's when there's sure. new and interesting development going on, you're usually talking about stuff that's unknown to your team. Right. And that goes back to that whole, you know, McConnell's uh, cone of uncertainty or, again, whatever his actual term is. I'm probably making that up. But, you know, at the beginning, without any insight into what you have to do, it, you know, you could be up to 16 times wrong. Right. And uh, any statistician will tell you that's some serious error there in your process. <laughs> so, you know. On the requirements gathering side, you know, lots of folks push on this idea of not spending a lot of time on requirements, but I guess it's wasteful to go off and build the wrong thing, too. So I'm trying to figure out what just enough requirements is. That can be actually a very difficult question, too. So um, it really just depends. Again, it goes back to, have you done something similar to this before? You know, how, how comfortable you are with the work that you're doing and, um, you know, that sort of thing. But... Um, it really, again, it's it's a balance. I mean, the key is to do just enough work that you get the information out of it, and then you hit this point of diminishing returns where, you know, you're not really getting the value anymore. Now you're creating waste, and it right. it takes time to try to discover where that balance is, and and that's really what lean again is all about. There's a concept called kaizen, which is continuous improvement, which is really where the the name of our product Zen comes from. And it just means, you know, every day you should try to be better than the day before, you know, and it, personally and, you know, in your uh, process. You should find better ways to work, and then you should try to improve your own skills, too, to try to, you know, become better. Uh, I'm not sure what your role is. Do you go into companies as a consultant and preach lean, or do you, as a software developer consultant, go in and use the methodology? Do you, I mean, what, what, is, your, what is your role in this professionally? Well, right now we're we're still just focusing on the product. Um, we haven't actually had any uh, consulting engagements or anything like that. I mean, that's certainly something that we're open to. But in your software development life, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, um, I, I'm actually the only software developer at Incari. Um, it's really just myself and my wife. Um, she runs the operational side of the business, and you know, I'm focused on the technology. So as you're implementing this stuff um, to teams who haven't, who who may not necessarily be used to all of this, you know, waste cutting and process interruption and stuff, what's the um, what's the reaction like when you when you typically start a lean process? 
Pretty much it's the same as if you go from something like Waterfall to Agile. It, it takes a lot of buy-in um, at really at all levels of, of the business, and particularly Lean because it's, um, it's a philosophy that it works best when everybody agrees on it. Um, again, yeah. same thing as, as Agile. And really Agile is kind of, or I should say Lean is kind of just an extension of Agile, of Agile yeah. kind of the next step. Um, but yeah, it, it can take uh, some time to try to convince people um, you know, I've, I've tried to implement, you know, agile and lean processes before, uh, you know, just as a, from a developer standpoint, and, uh, it's always been pretty difficult. Um, but it's, it's kind of interesting too, because one of the, uh, the things that, that, uh, you do first to try to implement a lean process, create a value stream map, which the idea would be is how do I take an idea from, they say from concept to cash. I think that's actually yeah. one of the, um, uh, terms used by Mary Poppendick in her book. But the idea being, how do we come up with an idea and then take it from that idea and get it into the hands of our customers? What, what's the process that it has to go through in order to you know, make it there? And um, a lot of times what you'll see is that um, when, you have to, when you're forced to visualize that process, you'll see all these different areas where there's waste and there's loops back and there's queuing that, oh, yeah, this task has to sit here for three months in a backlog before we actually work on it. And, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, again, I don't have a lot of experience as a consultant going in and trying to implement these things, but I've, I've seen and heard, you know, through other people and uh, case studies and that sort of thing. And uh, a lot of the, the uh, businesses are really just shocked and, and actually pleasantly surprised then as they start to work to, you know, reduce those, those wastes. Yeah. Often nobody's looking at the waste that's in the system, right? Just the idea of the scrutiny has got to be pretty powerful because once we see it, often we fix it. Right, exactly. And it's, it is painful, too. I mean, um, if you find that, you know, you're only they're, – they're always calculating an efficiency metric at the end. So, you know, you've got so much time that it takes for um, a task to, you know, move through your process called cycle time. And – then there's there's waste in inside the process, wait time that's that's applied, mm. and you'll actually see then sometimes your efficiency can be as low as something like say two percent, um, where you're only really getting two percent of of valuable work out of the time that that task spends in process, and that can be pretty painful if you see that sort of thing. But again, I mean, um, recognizing those things is is not a bad thing. It's an opportunity to try to improve. Um, you know, once those those wastes are identified, you can fix them. It's um, one of the uh, analogies um, that Mary Poppendick uses is it kind of reduces the uh, um, level of the stream to expose the rocks that your boat might hit. But once you see those rocks, you can move them out of the way. So, you know, they're not a danger anymore. Yeah. And just a seen problem generally uh, is better dealt with. Most of the time we're not even looking. Right. Exactly. Sure. How do you see risk mitigation fitting into the sort of lean process? And I'm I'm pulling on my McConnell uh, hat here again because uh, certainly as a consultant, I've been brought in because there was such a wide range of, in the estimate that they felt the best thing to do here was to do a little couple of side projects to mitigate some of the risk. Is but often that code's thrown away. Once we know how to do something, we will we'll engineer it differently when we actually go into it. I'm just trying to balance that from a waste perspective. Sure. I don't think uh, it's really necessarily part of lean that you have to get everything right the first time. I mean, rework is, is rework. It's going to happen. And right. there's not really anything wrong with that because it's, um, 
if you're if you know you're going to end up with waste uh, if you don't do a spike or if you don't create you know some kind of little prototype for it, um, then it's better to create the prototype and then throw it away than it would have been to waste the time you know to go down the path and and build the whole product and realize right. you did something wrong or you know that sort of thing. So it's not necessarily to say that you should completely avoid those kind of things. You should just be careful and understand the the you know debt that you might be creating and um, you know again just get a handle on your process. Well, it feels to me like this is the real kind of estimation as developers we should be doing. That point at which you decide, hey, let's do a test project before we go ahead with this, or let's go gather. I don't think we have sufficient requirements to build it correctly right now. Let's spend more time in the requirements process. That to me is the skill in this. I find like we're doing too much of that busy work that feels like those things, but isn't. Hmm. Sure. That's absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to think about it as uh, allowing your process to kind of show itself to you. So rather than going and trying to, you know, uh, be introspective and everybody sits around in a planning meeting and tries to come up with estimates and break it down in that respect, instead just work and allow your process to, you know, say, okay, it's based on a previous historical information. You know, this is the kind of stuff that we're doing. This is the amount of time, that sort of stuff. Right. I just find it challenging to get historical data because often the project, so one project to the next is so different. It gets easier with apps that persist, that go through many versions where you get a better and better sense of what it's going to take to add a new feature to that app. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I think it really is is project-specific. Um because and really team specific too, um, right? And it it really you, people have asked, um, can I? One of the feature requests that we've received actually that um, Zen calculates metrics like uh, um, lead time and cycle time, you know, key performance right. indicators. And one of the questions people have asked is like, well, can I compare this to the average? You know, I'd be interested to see how we're doing versus, you know, maybe an industrial average or you know, industry wide average. And it's there's really no there's no comparison. It's, it's apples to screwdrivers, you know, because yes. it's um, one team might be working on one kind of software and size their, their tasks a certain way. And another team could be working on a completely different project, completely different domain and might size their tasks differently. Yes. Well, it's the thing you'd spend more time trying to gather demographic data to be able to sort those projects out into related projects than you would be on the data itself. Right. Yeah. It's, it really just, um, there's not a lot of uh, uh, area that you can really compare. You know, it's again, it's it's very disparate kind of information. So, um, it's it's more important to really just focus on um, improving your team, you know, internally. So, trying to get your cycle time um, as low as possible, but also as consistent as possible too. So you can, you know, act as a consistent um, uh, producer for the business. You know, so every time the business asks you for something, they know it'll take a certain amount of time. Um, that sort of consistency can create um, a lot more, um, you know, agreement with the business and with engineering um, that this is, you know, lean and, and agile processes are, are good things. Well, the, yeah, isn't the mantra here, because we ship every two weeks, we just start raising the trust level? Don't worry, you'll get something in two weeks. And even if it's wrong, it was only two weeks. Hmm. Right. I mean, there's, there is definitely that in Agile. And the idea would be that, uh, sure, you're not going to get everything right the first time, but we are going to give you something every two weeks and get your feedback. That's, that's kind of the idea of, of right. a process like Scrum with iterations. And it's, it's not so much that everything that, that you know, lands in front of the customer is going to be perfect, 
But one thing that, that is, you know, a unifying truth with, with stakeholders in a project is that they always change their mind. They don't yeah. really know what they want until they can see it. And so, um, you know, an agile process gives you that, that flexibility to try to put something in front of the customer, keep them in a tight loop, you know, along with the development initiative, and, you know, make sure that they respond and, you know, they are involved directly in the process rather than coming up with, you know, a giant specification up front making them sign off on all of these different sort of things, you know, uh, in advance. One thing that's kind of interesting, too, if you think about um, waterfall and you think about coming up with a specification and have everyone sign off on it, um, again, one of the major wastes in lean is overwork or, um, you know, unnecessary work, so unnecessary features. The, the mere concept of having a customer sign off on the features that they want in the project, of course they're going to put everything, you know, in the kitchen sink into that specification. Right. You know, because they can never go back and change it. And so, you know, therein lies a huge amount of waste because they're asking for essentially the whole world when they probably really only want maybe 60% of those features or something like that. Well, and if you're lucky, when those short cycles, within a month or two, you start getting a core set of functionality that seems to solve the boat. You know, you get to that Pareto's law, that 80% deliverable, and then sure. you could decide how much further you want to go. Right, exactly. Isn't one of the tenets of lean software development to decide as late as possible? Definitely. You want to put off this any decisions that you make in terms of architectural decisions until the until you have all the facts and a decision needs to be made. Yep, the term is last responsible moment. You try to delay everything until it's, you know, the the absolute latest time that you can make that decision without it being too late. At the same time we have this challenge of people want clear deliverables. Right. I mean, developers like to know where the goalposts are. Right. You have to ship often. You have to be able to deliver on the spot. That's where tools like continuous integration come in because, you, you know, you have a daily build that works. Right. Sure. What Lean focuses on rather than iterations, because that, that one, one of the major questions, too, that, that people ask when exposed to a Lean process is, well, you know, without the iteration, well, what do we celebrate, you know, at, at the end of, of every block of work? You know, it seems like there should be a good feeling that's associated with it. So what Lean actually introduces is the concept of minimally marketable feature, or MMF, which is basically a batch of, of um, you know, stories that you would want to implement in order to uh, add to your product. So you might, it depends on how you might carve it up, but basically each MMF could be deployed independently of one another. Now, they may, you know, Future MMFs may depend on, you know, previously created MMFs. But um, when you you finish a batch of work, you know, again, going back to the whole design, develop, deploy thing, um, that's actually pretty similar to the process that we use at Encari to develop Zen. And each deploy stage, once it builds up a single MMF, we will push it out, you know, to our customers and get it in our customers' hands. So... Um, rather than, than focusing on a time box, you know, an iteration time box, it focuses on a feature box, which is really what matters. You know, in the end of the, at the end of the day, your customers don't really care if it comes in two weeks. You know, if it's a week and a half or, you know, two and a half weeks, as long as that, that um, you know, feature's created and, and deployed, that's really, that's the goal. Did sort of a new menu item works or a new button works or something like that? Right, exactly. Yeah, and that might actually just be part of, um, you know, the MMF. So um, a typical MMF might be something like um, we just implemented one to uh, delete a story. 
So uh, we actually launched without the ability to delete story cards. So that was one of the most requested features, so we went and added it. And that broke down into a couple of individual little stories inside, which each had a couple of tasks that had to be complete. But that was just deployed all as one package. Actually, we pushed a, a few MFs, I think, in that deployment. But basically, each one of those is like the minimum amount that you can then, you know, distribute to your customers. It makes sense. And I like the term, right? Minimally marketable the feature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, Lean focuses on, you know, uh, getting the product into your customer's hands. And it really does talk about cost and, and money and those sort of things, which a lot of times are kind of like swept under the rug a little bit with software. But it really is all about, you know, contributing to the business. And, yep. you know, I'm still trying to, I mean, so many of these things are, are the same as Agile. I'm trying to figure out how this is different from Agile. Sure. Well, I mean, Agile is kind of like a big, you know, umbrella term too, right? So, I mean, you have, you know, individual practices inside of the Agile umbrella like Scrum and and XP and those sort of things. And Lean kind of comes in, it's almost at odds with Scrum in a way um, because, again, the the focus less on estimation, iteration, and more on, you know, flow is really what what Lean is all about, you know, Mm -hmm. creating a pipeline and then flowing the work through it. But practices like XP, um, you know, pair programming, TDD, and, you know, again, continuous integration, all those things um, are all very much lean ideas. So lean is kind of like a different way of doing the day-to-day sort of work in an agile sort of environment. So it's a you, you consider it a late extension to agile maybe? Yeah, I would actually see it, um, you know, as kind of the next evolution of agile. Um, it's kind of the next step, you know, in the line. Because if you look at, at something like Scrum, it still focuses a lot on the, you know, the ceremony um, that was that was around, you know, from Waterfall. It just kind of breaks it up and says, okay, only do small chunks. And what Lean does, it's actually kind of um, takes away a lot of those, you know, ceremonies and just says, uh, just get to work, you know, and we'll see how we're doing, that sort of thing. Yeah. It is... Um, kind of a more uh, informal process in a way, but um, I actually think that that's good for particularly for small teams because small teams, a lot of the um, the uh, particularly small companies too, like say a startup for example, um, a lot of the agile ideas might be actually too heavyweight even for them. So what they'll do is they'll just do cowboy sort of coding. I mean, they'll just sit down and just slam out stuff and do whatever is necessary. Well, lean kind of gives you that. Um, that discipline that's lacking in cowboy coding, but without you know the um, necessity of sitting down and estimating and, and you know coming up with a much more formal sort of iterative process. Doesn't the Kanban board sort of force an order here? Just maintaining that means you you're keeping a discrete work item, you're keeping it short, you're forcing it on, you're, you're marking the board as you complete things, and that becomes the the rhythm of this. Sure. Right. And it's really, it's all about rhythm, actually. They, the lean term would be cadence. So right. rather than coming up again with the iteration cycle, you have a cadence. So every so often you, you would create an MMF and get it in your customer's hands. So the idea would be to try to get your cadence as, as similar as possible over time. So, you know, the, the customer understands that maybe, maybe your cadence is every two weeks. Every two weeks they end up with more software, you know, new software that they can see. Yeah, it might be longer, it might be shorter. I mean, I, Probably not shorter, but it's it, that's the the whole thing here. Right. Yep. Same amount of time mm-hmm. each time. Right. It's really it's about you know forcing consistency. 
um, and, and trying to get people to, you know, but rather than saying, okay, our consistency is going to be two weeks, it lets the team kind of uh, develop, you know, again, more organically to, to, to try to figure out what the, the most natural cadence is for that team. And you might find, too, that uh, one of the things in, in a scrum process always seems to be happening is, is changing the iteration time. So, okay, today or, you know, th- these few months we're going to be, this quarter we're going to work on uh, two-week cycles. And then, well, that's not working so good. Let's, let's try one-week cycles, you know, or something like that. And so what Lean kind of lets you do is, is rather than coming up with the, that synthetic sort of time box, it just says, okay, just do your work. You know, we'll, we'll look at what we're, you know, how we're doing. And, you know, the cadence actually, again, kind of appears to you. Again, this is that the Kanban board shows us where the bottlenecks are iterating, moving from one person to the next. Right. Yep. And then actually, um, you know, we are, our, our product being called Zen too, we've actually caught a little bit of flack um, by, you know, being related to, you know, Zen Buddhism and, and that sort of thing. And of course the, the name again comes from Kaizen, you know, the uh, continuous improvement principle, but um, it does kind of, we, I really like that sort of um, kind of feel to it because it, it does help you to relax. It helps you to not worry so much about all the different things that you have to work on because, um, you know, it's it's number one. It's all on the board, and number two, you're you can set limits on the different things that you're working on. So one of the uh, other ideas in in a Kanban system is to under each column, you can actually set a what's called a WIP limit, uh, WIP, work in progress. So let's say I have two developers on my team, I can set a WIP limit to two on that development phase, which means I'm not allowed to put more than two cards in that phase at a time. Cool. If you kind of look at the key theory behind Kanban, it actually says if you limit um, the amount of, of uh, tasks that can be in any phase, you actually increase flow. Even though it seems like you're creating a synthetic bottleneck, you're actually making it um, you know, work flow faster through the system because you're reducing things like thrashing where I have to say, okay, I'm working on 14 different things right now. I have to pick what I'm working on today and switch all that information into my head in order to be able to work on it. And so a Kanban system like Zen lets you focus on just individual tasks until you've completed them and then move on to the next one. It's good for the devs, but you still have somebody looking, needing to look at the whole and say, you know, are we moving forward and, and are we working on the right things? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, project management is still a very important task. And then of course, somebody has to decide on, you know, what should be worked on too. And, you know, typically that is somebody that's managing your backlog and, you know, um, being the liaison with the, with customers or whoever the stakeholders are in the project and trying to understand what, you know, engineering should be working on before it actually even becomes a story card in your Kanban system. Right. Yeah. Working on the right things is often tough. That's absolutely true. Yep. That's actually one of the biggest ways overall too. I was just talking to um, a developer, a Java developer, who says that uh, working, and, and I, I know this is a common experience, that working at, at his company is kind of like feast or famine. Either he's sitting around bored with nothing to do or it's crunch time. And it's just sure. because the managers don't have uh, a handle on the process and forecasting and stuff. They're you know sort of reactionary. You know, 
Right. Absolutely. That's, that's, I'm sure, a very common problem, like you said. And they just really, what happens is they have bottlenecks in their value stream somewhere. Somewhere, so, yeah. Right. And without, you know, a system that, that actually says you have to sit down and map out your value stream, it's very difficult to find where those bottlenecks are. And again, without finding them, there's no possible way that you can, you know, improve it. But yeah, I've heard stories, too, um, where people have gone in and, and talked to these different business units. And um, actually, I was, this is uh, John Stahl. He works at uh, uh, Lean Dog Software. It's a uh, lean consulting company in, in Cleveland here, nearby us. And um, he was telling this story at, at a user group just uh, last week. Um, he went in, and um, there were uh, two different business units that um, – you know, I think it was analysis or and and engineering, something like that. And analysis was sure it was engineering's fault, and engineering was just sitting around twiddling their thumbs with no work right. to do. You know, but yeah. the the people in charge at the executive level wouldn't push any more work on the system, or wouldn't even invite engineers to uh, meetings or anything like that, uh, because they thought that they were swamped. They had no idea that they were you know sitting around waiting for work. So a lot of that is is lack of communication. Yep. But that's really at heart of what, you know, Kanban system is all about. It's about visibility and communication throughout every member of the team. Um, if something's wrong, everybody should know about it. No one should try to sweep it under the rug or, you know, point fingers at each other. Everybody just focuses on trying to keep the flow going as much as possible. Now, how would a Kanban show that engineering was twiddling the thumbs? So I guess if these guys are putting their problems onto the board, then the engineers would just pick it up because they have the cycles. Yeah, sure. it's just a right. way of so, letting everybody know what everybody else is doing. Right, exactly. That visibility that's created there, too. I mean, again, if you think of design, develop, deploy, which is a pretty simplistic process, but um, if you see a lot of things stacked up in design, you know that the designers are overworked, or maybe not so much overworked, but they're, um, you know, there's some sort of bottleneck that's happening in the design phase. And if you see that the develop phase is empty, you know that the developers are pretty much, you know, without any work. Again, as long as you're prescribed, you know, as long as everyone's using the system the way it's intended to be used. So uh, what's next for the product? Where are you in the cycle? Is it, uh, what version are you on? Well, it's definitely, I'd say 1.0. Um, you know, we just actually went live on July 7th. Um, we've been working on it now for quite a long time. We've had, you know, private data and that sort of thing, but we just opened to the public um, although we did have over a thousand um, users sign up in the first week, so that was very encouraging. Wow, um, cool! The feedback has been very uh, overwhelmingly positive, so we're we're really excited about that. And we're just we try to you know uh, practice what we preach, so we're trying to uh, you know roll out new features every few days, um, you know, involve the product, uh, you know, kind of again grow it organically, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Again, like I said, I'm working on the API, so we should see a bunch, a bunch of uh, pretty cool integrations start to pop up um, here over the next couple of months. And what's the uh, cost? What's the pricing? It depends. We have a tiered pricing model, so it really just depends on um, the number of projects and the number of collaborators on your team. So our projects or our prices um, range from 9 to $99 a month, again, hosted service. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also a free account that people can sign up for to, to kind of try it out. And um, there's been a really good series of blog posts on personal Kanban um, that have, have been coming out recently. I've seen them on Twitter. And um, you can actually use this, this tool for your own personal Kanban system. So even before you know, I, I wrote Zen, I was starting to use a, a manual Kanban board to try to organize my own work. So 
one of the cool things that then lets you do with the free account is you can sign up and you know start managing your own work with a Kanban system. AgileZen.com is the website. Nate Kohari has been with us. His blog is kohari.org. That's K-O-H-A-R-I.org. Nate, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter van.